Okay, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. I say Shalom Aleichem to myself. I have <laughs> I've been off the grid for a very long time, and I'm back today, hopefully with Hashem's help. Okay, so tonight I'm making up for last night, which I was out of town um, for the class of Parshan My Life, which we haven't done for a while. And here we're back. Parsha My Life, anybody that wants to sponsor this class, it is available. Still, you can retroactively take this class. In any case, um, the the Parsha this week is the third time we're doing Achremos. Here in Chutzliar, it's in Eretz Yisrael, meaning in the outside of Israel. In, in Israel, it's already Parshas Kedoshim. Because um, they had Shabbos, was Shabbos for them, not Pesach. So they did the Shabbos reading, but we are still in Achremos. So it must be that the lesson of Achremos <coughs> is so pivotal that God is making us read that Parsha three times. Three weeks, again and again and again. Um, and if one uh, you know, thinks about the, the essence of the Parsha, and the essence and the time that we're in right now, we can understand perhaps why Hashem has taken us around this parsha three times. Um, one of the obvious frustrations is that Mashiach has not yet fully revealed himself. And we are still in exile. That is a painful, painful you know, situation for all of us. Uh, we had the month of Nisan and we had a hopes and we're still in the month of Nisan, so we will keep that window open. But on the other hand, the fact that it's after Pesach and it's nearing the end of Nisan is, um, at least for myself, it's pretty difficult to deal with. Um, but we know we're closer and closer and closer, and we know it's about to happen. So may God help that it should happen within the next couple of minutes. And tonight we're entering into the 26th of Nisan, which is 26th of Shem Havaya. So really, it's the real power of the month of Nisan. So why not? Today would be a fantastic day for the, re for the redemption to take place. Even though, I don't know if anybody has it already marked in their calendar. Hashem can give us a nice, beautiful surprise, and we will be happy. Um, one of the events that is taking place, today is Tuesday night, so tonight is Chavav. And then um, Wednesday night is going to be Chav Zayin. And Thursday night is going to be Chav Ches, Nisan. So the day of Chav Ches, Nisan is a, I think if I'm right, could be I'm right. I've been following it. If I'm right, if I said the right Tehillim for today, today was the 25th, right? Okay, then I am right. So Thursday is going to be the 28th of Nisan. 28th of Nisan is a, a very intense day for Hasidim. You see, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, on the 28th of Nisan gave us an electric shock. Literally, he literally zapped us like we've never been zapped. 30 years ago, actually 31 years ago, the Rebbe then, I mean, looking at it from a human perspective, looking at us from our human logical minds, the Rebbe was at that time, very frustrated that the month of Nisan passed, similar to what we're experiencing, but a million, not even a million, you know? <laughs> He's the inclusive soul that includes all the Jewish people. So his soul is, as many Jews as there are, 
plus he's beyond. So talking about a couple of million times more and beyond. So his frustration that Mashiach didn't come in the month of Nisan, in the year of I will show you wonders, which the Rebbe coined that time. So at that time, the Rebbe then said that you know he's done whatever he can and he is handing the task over to each and every one of us. Every year when this day comes, it gives us a deep shake-up. It, 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 it's the shake-up of like, how can it be that another Nisan passed and Mashiach is not here? The Rebbe then said that what can, when he said he's giving it over to us, regular people, small people, small, tiny little people. And the Rebbe said, do everything you can. And the famous words of Yiddish, tut altsvas irkent. You do everything you're able to do. And the Rebbe added a certain ingredient. And he said, it should be It should be the lights of Tohu in the vessels of Tikkun. What that means is, it should be, you know, what you should be doing is something wild, something like spectacular, something like that's the chaotic lights. That means the energy should be utterly insane. But make sure to dress it up and contain it in constructive vessels. That was the instruction. Now, those who study Hasidus and those who learn, um, uh, you know, uh, mystical concepts are familiar with the with the two worlds: the world of Tohu and the world of Tikkun. The world of Tohu was a world of a massive energy. It was a primordial state of existence where there was unrestrained and unrestricted flow of infinite energy. And that energy could not be held by vessels. And that's why the vessel shattered and exploded. And that's what caused, caused the mess that we're in today. The world, which is a mixture of good and bad, and all the klipas, which is all the forces of darkness and, 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 and unholy um, forces of evil, they're all because they all came about as a result of the shattering of vessels. They weren't created yet because this is still primordial, still before creation. But the potential for them to exist was because of this explosion in which the containers could not hold the light because the light was too immense. So then Hashem, you know, reformatted the entire system and he emanated again energies for creation. But that second dosage of light was a far more controlled and measured light. And those lights are called the, the, the lights of Tikkun. They are much softer. They are, much, uh, they are far more filtered. And, and the vessels were able to hold the light. And as a result of that, God created with those containers and with that energy, Hashem funneled. It was funneling his energy, but in a far more restrained way, into the cosmos, to create the cosmos, to sustain the cosmos. However, he integrated into the cosmic, into the, he, he had woven it into the fabric of creation, the pieces of that ancient world, those pieces, those sparks, that's what we call sparks of holiness, from the shattered vessels of the world of Tohu. So when the Rebbe gave us the ingredients and told us what it will take to bring Mashiach, the Rebbe used the term, we should do something that involves the energy of the world of Tohu, but we need to do it in a way of the constructing the constructed vessels of Tikkun. That's that's the concept of today's class. I'd like to talk about that, and that's the really the theme of this week's parsha.
Parshas Achrei Mos is the Parsha of this unique blend. Because the Torah opens up, and, that, and that's the reason I believe that we are now given three weeks dosage of this, of this Torah portion, to read it and read it and read it, so that we realize that we can fail on either end. Um, if we want our service to be complete, to produce redemption, on the one end, we can't be satisfied with, the, with, the, with, with organized, constructive service where the energy is a limited energy from the world of Tikkun. That will never produce Mashiach. In other words, as we're soon going to see, if we're lacking madness, if we're lacking this, this, total, this total raw, literally, you know, uh, insane energy, we can't produce Mashiach. On the other hand, if we're going totally nuts and we're being reckless and we're just, you know, you know, uh, 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 you know, shouting from the top of our lungs, utter intense things that people can't hear and people are not able to process it in their minds and in their vessels, then we're lacking, we're falling short on the, on the vessels of Tikkun. And when we're falling for short on the vessels of Tikkun, we can't either have Mashiach because we have the energy of, of the redemption, but we're not creating the containers and the vessels to hold them. So Mashiach energy is somewhere in the air, but it's not manifesting in our physical reality. So here is the blend. We need to be crazy, but yet normal at the same time. Camouflage the craziness and normalcy. And that's been the trick. And that's been elusive. Because there are those that are very organized and very normal and very structured. But they're lacking the energy. Then there are those that are utterly mad about Mashiach and are, you know, going bonkers. But they're lacking the, the articulation and the constructiveness of it. And the uniqueness of blending it both together and bringing it to the world is what's necessary. Now, where do we see that in this week's parsha? In parshas Acharemos, in this week's Torah portion, which is, I'm not going to focus much on the parsha. I'm just going to touch upon it, that this is the idea. The Torah tells us that the two sons of Aaron, um, which we, we read about this actually two weeks, ago, a few weeks ago, in parsha Shmini, um, which is two Torah portions back, or three Torah portions back. It relates that the two sons of Aaron on the day of the inauguration of the Holy Temple uh, went in and offered the Ketores, and they died while they did it. It's, it calls it a Ketores Zara. It was a um, a, uh, a a foreign Ketores. It wasn't. Uh, it was uh, the, the the spices that they uh, the incense that they offered up, and um, uh, for whatever reason, it was uncalled for. The Hasidic explanation in their in their passing was that they experienced um, a rapture of intense yearning and love for God, and they went outside of their vessels. In other words, they experienced the lights of Tohu. In, within themselves, they went into a chaotic state. They went into the raw energy of their soul as it is above vessels, and they actually stimulated very high. And that's why they brought down this intense light and the intense light is what burnt them and electrocuted them. The problem was they did not have the right vessels to funnel that light down into a cohesive, constructive way so it shouldn't destroy the world and it shouldn't burn them alive. 
And that's what happens. They got burnt because of the intensity of it. And that would happen if we bring down these intense lights of chaos, this intense infinite light, but we don't create the proper containers for it. So the Torah warns us in the beginning of the parsha, don't do like the, the, the Torah speaks to the high priest. Be very careful. He's the one who interacts the, the most with the infinite. He's going into the Holy of Holies. He's going into the inner sanctuary. He's going in deep, 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 the place where, you know, God is without any limitations. And God is saying, procedure. And that's the procedure that is Yom Kippur. Hashem gives the full procedure, exactly what needs to be done, certain sacrifices, certain things. It's very meticulous. It's very, it's very procedural. It has step A, step B, step B. Z, uh, 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 A, B, C, D, from A to Z. So many details of details. It's like so meticulous and so organized. Yet when the going high priest is going on in the Holy of Holies to bring atonement and to meet God himself and to convey the ultimate teshuva and, and repentance of all the Jewish people and their endless, boundless yearning for the infinite, which was expressed through the sprinkling of the blood, one upward and seven down, and the, the, the offering of the, of the, of the Ketoris and the, and the Holy of Holies, that experience was so intense, was so outside of containers and vessels, and yet at the same time, he needed that magical blend of bringing it into containers and into vessels. That's the message. It's the name of the parsha. The name of the parsha is after the death. The death expresses the idea that their, their souls rose above their containers. That's what death is. The soul doesn't stay in the vessel anymore. It goes above the containers. But it's not good. After you go beyond the vessels, you got to bring that energy down back into containers. We have a three-week study of these parshas to get that in our heads. And... Now, to further understand this, let's see. When we went out of Egypt for the first time, um, we know what it says, that our redemption is going to be similar to the going out of Egypt. That's why it happens in the month of Nisan, because that's when we went out then, and that's when we, that is the most opportune time for us to get out of exile is in the month of Nisan. In Nisan, in Nisan we will redeem, and in Nisan we will be redeemed again. And the sages, and the verse says, like the days you went out of Egypt, I will show you wonders. It will be similar. So when we take a look at the procedure of going out of Egypt, we find over there as well, it was this unique blend the Jewish people needed to prepare for the revelation of Mashiach. I'm sorry, for the revelation of God, which came as a result of going out of Mitzrayim. You see, at that time, the highlight was Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah. That was the marriage between the Jewish people and God. That was the time when God revealed himself on earth temporarily. And he began the process of refining. And at that time, we began the process of making this world ready to receive the ultimate manifestation of God in the permanent redemption, which is going to be in the coming of Mashiach, which can be permanent. What happened by the giving of the Torah, what happened at Sinai, God descended. Hashem came down to this world as he is. And that's the whole idea. Hashem came down unfiltered, unlimited, without any constrictions. We managed to have an encounter and an experience of God's very self, transcending all of God's emanations, personality traits, and character traits, which exist 
because God does reveal himself to prophets and so on and so forth and conduct the affairs of the world through various different systems, divine systems, which is hinted to in God's names, all the various different names of him. But by the giving of the Torah, God dismissed all of his names. How does he introduce himself at Sinai? He says, Anochi, I am God, your God. I, the very I, the Zohar points that out. The Zohar says when it says the word Anochi, it means I, who I am, meaning who I am at my very, very essence, not me, um, not my, you know, my, my projected image, but my true self. That's what Hashem wanted when he gave us the Torah. But that was, again, only phase one. That was an introduction. And that's why it didn't last. It was a momentary experience. Hashem went back up to heaven. The revelations, the skies closed. We went back into the darkness. We had some kind of manifestation of that in the Mishkan. We built God a home on a much more, less, um, less spectacular way. The Shekhinah and God himself was dwelling in the in the in the in the Mishkan, which was the tabernacle, and then later in the temple, it didn't last permanently. It's going to last permanently at this redemption. We're going to have Anochi back, which means we're going to have Hashem's very being again in this world, again, and this time it's going to be lasting forever. So, what we need to do is we need to take a look and says and and see what did we do at that time in order to reach that ultimate revelation. What was done? How did God prepare us then? And when we see how God prepared us then and instructed us what to do, then we can have the same idea of what we need to do now. Now, although then we had explicit divine instructions, right? Hashem came to Moshe and told him. And this time we also have. The Lubavitcher Rebbe is giving us over the instructions. And the instructions that he told us is this blend of the lights of Tohu and the vessels of Tikkun, which is literally what the preparation for the giving of the Torah was. It was a combination of work that was done at these two ends, the lights of Tohu and the vessels of Tikkun. And they are, um, they are expressed in the two primary mitzvahs that we do as an introduction to our yearly receiving of the Torah. So we can really say as follows, the giving of the Torah is the messianic revelation. Back then it was a temporary revelation. Now it's gonna be permanent. As we also know that when Mashiach comes, we are gonna receive the Torah, but we're gonna get the Torah 2.0. We're gonna get the upgrade of the Torah. We're gonna get the inner secrets of the Torah. So we see that the ultimate Moshiach is the revelation at Sinai. We also say it in Davening. We say, uh, God will let us know a second time. He will speak to us again. So that's, so Har Sinai and the giving of the Torah, that would be the precursor or the preview of the revelation of Mashiach, the godly revelation of Mashiach. The going out of Egypt is the preparation to it. Even though it's already part of the redemption, it's the preparation leading up. And we yearly have instructions 
of how to prepare for Shavuos, that idea is also the preparation for Mashiach. The concepts, the ideas. Let's see what we can do. What I'm basing this off is a discourse, a Hasidic discourse of the Tzemach Tzedek, third Chabad Rebbe, in Sefer Oyer HaToyra, and he said this in the year, Tov Kuf Tzadik, which was, Tov Kuf Tzadik, which was Every facet of our soul needs to be cleansed. Every emotion, every 
part of our being needs to be prepared, conditioned to be able to receive God, God's revelation on Shavuos. When you have these two together, you have the proper blend. The matzah that stimulates the lights of Tohu, the sphere of Saomer, which is the preparing containers and vessels, and now we can experience the full godly revelation of Matan Torah. So let's look at it a little deeper and understand it a little bit. Um, we know every day we say we go, we, we're supposed to go out of Mitzrayim. The going out of Egypt is not just a one-time situation. The going out of Egypt is a daily exercise. We are commanded to remember going out of Egypt every day. And the remembering of going out of Egypt every day is because we are supposed to get out of Egypt every day. Now, which, at which point do we mention going out of Egypt? When do we do it? We do it during the reciting of the Shema. When we recite Shema, Shema uh, at the end of the Shema, we say the third paragraph of the Shema that talks about the tzitzis. Over there we say, I took you out of Egypt. Which tells us that the going out of Egypt has something to do with the recital of the Shema. So if we tap in a little deeper into the inner energies and into the more spiritual side of the Shema, other than just reading it, saying every word carefully, which we're supposed to do in order to fulfill our halachic obligation, but in order to really connect to the energy of the Shema, that really is the experience of going out of Mitzrayim. Now, the energy of the Shema has two, we said before, three paragraphs, but the first two are the focus of our discussion today. The third one is the consequence. The consequence of doing, this, doing the work of the first part of the Shema and the second part of the Shema, it leads you to the conclusion that now, as a result of these two dynamics of the first parasha of the Shema and the second parasha of the Shema, this is this is what it takes to take us out of Mitzrayim. We go out of Egypt as a result of that. Okay. So what are the two parshas of the Shema? So the two parshas of the Shema, the sages say to us, in the first paragraph of the Shema, which is Vahafta Shema, the first verse, includes Baruch Shem Kavod Machus which was actually inserted. It's not there in the, in the scripture itself at least not as part of the Shema, then Vahavta, until the word Uvish That's the first part of the Shema. What is the content of it? The sages say it is what's called Kabbalah's Oil Malcha Shemayim. You are accepting God as your king. You're accepting the your, our. We are accepting God as our sovereign ruler. And we are surrendering ourselves completely to his, to his, to him. We are basically declaring you are our king and we are your subjects. That's the Shema. Yekablu aleim oil malchus shemaim. Accepting upon ourselves the yoke of the heavenly kingdom. Then the second portion of the Shema is Let's listen to the words. If you will listen, to my commandments, that I am commanding. No, where am I? Where's my hand? No. Oh, I'm tired. 
I say Shema like 50, like a thousand times. We talk about a thousand times. And yet, right now, I'm... Oh, yeah, it's when you will listen to my commandments that I command you today. Okay? So the two parashias, volume Shemoya and Vahafta. Okay? So what do the sages say? What is the character? What is the what is the meaning of a Hoyam Shemoa? It's acceptance of the yoke of the commandments. So in the first part of the Shema, you're surrendering yourself to God. In the second part of the Shema is you're accepting upon yourself all the commandments that God is commanding us. So what would be simply the difference? One is a more general devotion. God, I belong to you. I am yours. I am committed to you. I'm your servant. And the second one is, so what do you want? Tell me. How can, how can I serve you? Whatever it is that you ask of me, I will do. So start telling me what you want. Give me the list. Send me the shopping list. That's what the second portion is. Give me the shopping list. What do you want me to pick up for you today? And God sends you the details. I need the cucumbers. I need peppers. I need sugar. Whatever it is. These are all the individual mitzvahs. So it seems like it's just detail or 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 you know or or general, but 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 it's but it's the sages say you can't say the Vahoya in Shemoa. You can't read the Shema the other order. It can't be more. You can't start with the details and go to the general. You have to start with the general acceptance and then you go to the details. So the truth is, it's a difference. The di- the dynamics is very different. In the general acceptance, you're committing. Not your actions. You're committing your very self. And that's why it says you should love God, your God, with all your heart. It means with all your drive. There should be nothing in you that's driving in any other direction but Hashem. But then we even go more with all your soul, which means even if they're taking your, even if it means giving your life up. So that means you're, you're giving yourself over completely. So it's one thing to say to someone, whenever you need something, call on me. That doesn't mean that I have given over my very being to you. It means that if you happen to need something, I will make the time. I will give you my time. I will give you some of my resources, my money. If you need, you need my help, my physical actions, activities. I will, I, I will surrender certain elements of my being to you. And it might be a lot of my beings, but I'm, not still, I'm still not speaking about me. My very, very self, my very, my very, my very being at my core. But when I am saying, accepting God as my king, a subject is completely owned by the king. The king owns you. He can owns your life. He owns your entire being. And if it's a good king and a beautiful king and a wonderful good king, it's it's lovely. You're giving yourself over to this. Awesome, incredible, and if this king is God, obviously, it's 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 a honor to be belong to God, to be God's possession. My entire being is yours, God. Versus when you're just accepting upon yourself the yoke of mitzvahs, it's specifics. Now, you need both because you can give over your entire being. But since you're not bringing it down into details, you're so busy 
in the energy of being devoted that you're not even hearing when, you know, sometimes you can get so caught up in being completely yours on yours on yours. And you're not even, you're not even hearing what the person wants. So when he asks you something specific, you have to be ready to take it down into the details. So it's not just enough to surrender to the entirely to, you know, with your essence, it requires detail. That's one difference. There's another difference as well. To who are you surrendering? When you are committing yourself to the commandments, then you are committing to the source of the commandments. And what is the source of the commandments? God's intelligence and God's will. That's where the mitzvahs come from. God's mind and God's desire to have these commandments. Now, the desire and the, and the, and the intelligence are but manifestations of God. God transcends his intelligence and God transcends his desire. There is God's very self. When I am saying I belong, I am yours, it's my very identity, my very being, giving myself over to your very being. Prior to God's manifestation or defini defining himself by any type of limited definition, let it be the highest aspects of the divine, of the divine sph spherot and attributes and so on and so forth, but there's still definitions. So the beauty of the Shema, it's essence to essence. What is Vahayim Shemoa? Vahayim Shemoa is the particulars of the person, the details of the person surrendering himself or herself to the specifics of the divine will and intelligence, desire and want. So here you have a complete package acceptance, the total surrender, and detail. Now let's add one more very interesting idea. And that is that the Shema, the Kabbalists tell us that the Parsha of Shema has 42, the Kabbalists tell us that the Parsha of Shema has 42 words in it. 42 words in the Parsha of the Shema. The Parsha of Ahoyim Shemaya, which is the second Parsha of the Shema, has 72 words. So when we say the first Parsha has 42 words, it means, um, let me just tell you from where. You don't start from You start from Vahafta, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two. Yeah. From the word Vahafta until the word of Isharacha, there are forty-two words in the Shema which is one of God's names. For those familiar, there is the famous prayer called Anavakoach, which is a prayer we say it after the Sefirah to Omer, after we count the Omer, we say it before by the bedtime Shema, we say it Friday night 
uh, during the Lachun Rechot before Lachadodi, various different times in the morning prayers by in Karbanos, by Minachatu, we say Anavachalach. There there are 40, a name of Hashem, which in the, in the end of the sentences of every every line of Anavakoach, there is a name of God. And that's the name of 42 letters. So the first parsha of Shema has got 42, 42 words in it. The second parsha of Ahoyim Shemaya has 72 words in it, but not the entire parsha. You start from the words Vahaya until the words Visamtem es devare ela alavavchem. So the last word would be And then God says, if you'll listen, I'll give you a bunch of good stuff. If you don't listen, you'll be in trouble. Then it says, you should take these words and you should put them on your heart. So till today, I have never figured this out. It always bothered me because I knew this Kabbalistic concept that there are 72 words in Vahoyam Shemoa. But really not. There's like 100 words there or more. So it says, yeah, you stop by the word Vesamten. But I couldn't figure out, like, what would, why would you stop in the middle? Like, what differentiates Vesamten? And I, I, I didn't give it too much thought because it's obvious. Vahoyam Shemoa is, in it, God is saying something. There is a message. If you listen, it will be good. If you don't listen, you'll be in trouble. Then he continues and he says, this message, you should take it to heart. The Samtem es take this message and put it on your heart, and on your soul. And you should bind it to your hand and you should bind it to your head and you should teach it to your children. So that's already instructions what you should do about that message. But first there is the message itself. And that's what differentiates the beginning of the Vahoya Mishamaya from the rest of it. And that's why the Kabbalists tell us that it's 72 words in the message itself versus the Vahafta, the first parsha of the Shema, which is 42. So, what is the dynamics over here? What, what's this idea of 42 versus, versus, um, Versus uh, the 72. Especially based on what we had just discussed earlier. That in Shema, it is a giving yourself over to God's to God himself. In Vahoyam Shemaya, it's taking that commitment and that utter, complete, all-encompassing, all-embracing, transcendental devotion, which means you're 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 totally get a complete almost like dissolving of, of ego, dissolving of self. Your, my entire identity belongs to you. I am yours completely. That's the Shema. And then the, 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 the Vahoyim Shemaya is, you know, taking that, that into practical details of, observe, of, observe, of observance, which involves much more, you know, presence of self and down-to-earth application of particular activities, actions, thoughts, and so on and so forth. So what you're really sensing is, if you get the sense, is that we discussed earlier, the parsha of Shema is more a limitless energy, as we spoke. When you're giving your, when you're loving God, what does it say in the Shema? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might, 
which according to the Hasidic explanation of all your might means your love to God is boundless. The soul is actually to a point where it's ready to dissolve in the infinite. It doesn't even want to remain in, the, in this world. It doesn't want to remain in a container. It has such a powerful sense of the infinity of God and, it's, and, and, and how all of creation and obviously the physical existence, but even the spiritual worlds are all still a state of confinement and the soul is, is frustrated by the confinement and by the limitation and just wants complete oneness with Hashem itself. That's the infinity of it. So what you're sensing over here is this, remember we discussed earlier in the class, the chaotic lights, the lights that don't settle in vessels. It's, it's encountering God's very self, not any particular where God is already settling himself into particular wants and desires, constructive forms. There's no vessels. There's no particulars. It's Hashem's essence, a complete devotion to God's very self. The parsha of Ahoyam Shemoa is, I got to be alive in this world to implement God's will in this world. And I need to know the details. I need to know how you want me, you know, to eat my food. What's kosher? What's not kosher? How do you want me to dress? How do you want me to do business? How do you want me to act in this material, physical world in a godly way? in a way that I'm preparing vessels to facilitate you, Hashem. And that's why in Vayim Shemaya, again, it's not the commitment to the essence, it's the commitment to the details, the acceptance of the yoke of mitzvahs. And now we'll understand the difference of why one is the name, has 42 words, words to it, and one is 72. See, the name of 42 is the name associated with ascending energy. Whenever there is a, 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 a upward, an upward motion, whenever there is a lifting up of any, of any entity which is rising higher out beyond its, 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 its borders and its boundaries to reach for the beyond and the higher, it's through, it's through the name of 42. And here's the amazing thing. The going out of Egypt is exactly that process. Egypt was a physical, it is a physical location in this world, but living in Egypt was living under duress, under constriction. The Jewish people in Egypt could not be who they are, could not live and express their spiritual selves. They were enslaved to Pharaoh and to the, to the Egyptians. And spiritually, therefore, Egypt means boundaries and limitations and definitions. So Egypt is not just the physical location. Egypt really represents any kind of definition that defines and limits something when it is in comparison to the boundlessness and the, and the infinite of the pure infinite light. And therefore, it is explained that ultimately anything but God Almighty Himself, any 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 entity, even the most even worlds aglow with the greatest spiritual enlightenment, even the spheres that are so filled with love and knowledge and understanding are all still finite. Even the divine lights, even the divine attributes 
are still constrictions because they're already defining their lights and vessels, as we discussed earlier. Only God's very self beyond all vessels and all containers and all descriptions, that is outside of Egypt. Going out of Egypt is our ultimate purpose because going out of Egypt is connecting. God wants us to connect to him, not just to the things about him, not just to his goodness, not just to his wisdom, not just to his compassion, not just to his other beautiful aspects of him. He wants to be married with us, that we should love him for his very essence. And that going out of Egypt, which means connecting to God's very essence, that's, that, that's the meaning of going out of Egypt. And when we went out of Egypt, it says to get out of all containers and to get out of all vessels and to get out of all constrictions. The only way to do that is through divine assistance, because we, as great as our minds are and as wonderful that we can inspire ourselves with a desire, with a want, but there will always be some kind of a limit because we are limited beings. So when we're generating energy and excitement, we're generating energy from within a limited from within a limited tank from within a, a limited fuel tank and therefore it will always be limited the only way to really 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 experience infinity and an infinite surge and an infinite desire is by being pulled by god himself when god pulls you and in egypt god pulled us out of egypt and god used his hand to pull us out of egypt you see the hand mentioned god's arm is mentioned many times by yitzhiah mitzrayim he actually mentions Three times hand when he takes us out of Mitzrayim. Three different types of hand. It says, Yad B'nai Yisrael Yitzin, the Jewish people went out B'yad Ramah with an exalted hand, with a raised hand. That's in B'Shalah. There's another word, word that says, V'yad Yisrael, the Jewish people, so Es Hayad Hagedola, God's great hand. And there's another verse that says, God says, I will send Yad HaChazaka, my mighty hand. So there's the mighty hand, the great hand, and the elevated hand. Yad is 14. If you take 14 times 3, 14 and 14 is 28, plus another 3 is 42. So the energy that pulls the this incredible opposite of gravity, heaven pulling us and su suctioning us up to heaven. In other words, heaven drawing us out of limitations and boundaries so that our souls can rejoin the infinite, that incredible suction from above that's pulling us out of vessels and containers, that's, through the, that's the name of 42. And those are the three arms of Hashem, Yad, 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 three times Yad, that activated Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. So in our daily going out of Egypt, how does a human being, a, a, an entity who lives within the here and the now, we're living in a physical body, but we're also living within time and space. This is the moment of my existence, or maybe hopefully we live a long life. So we live here 120 years and we have a lot of, and let's say we have many friends and we have some fame and renown and we get out to places I'm going to say hi to my YouTube friend. <laughs> Why am I saying this? Because I say, you know, you have to. I was, I was just on Venice Beach yesterday with my wife, and we took a little bike ride. Um, and someone stops me, and he says, hey, 
Rabbi, I says, I watch you on YouTube. It was the f- weird, it was so weird because it was not someone I would expect that, uh, that he watches me on YouTube. So it was really cool. And he says, he really likes what we're doing. Keep up. So I'm sending, um, he even told me his Hebrew name is Chaim. So Chaim, hello. In any case, it was a very cool thing. But let's say good. So let's say you have a YouTube channel with 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 five million uh, 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 um, you know watchers who watch you and so on and so forth. But it's so good. So you're still very limited. <laughs> if we're talking about we're talking about not the here or the now, we're talking about all of eternity and in all of existence. How big is this world? How big is the million people you're reaching? Very limited in the ultimate scope of things. So how does someone living in time and space impact and connect to literally what is absolute, what is beyond time, what is forever, because beyond time is, is not even, you can't even say forever, but from our time constricted minds, yes, it is, you know, we'll say forever and absolute, we can't. But God gives us an ability to do so every day. When Hashem says, when you identify with me, when you cease to be you and define yourself by yourself, but you, be, you melt yourself into me by accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. And interesting, the Tzemach Tzedek says, the word heaven indicates that which is, it, that which is not within vessels that which is encompassing the heavens. If, if there's one thing that we at least can imagine the infinite, where can we imagine the infinite? To a certain degree, you're looking out into the ocean that's imagining the infinite, but the ocean does have another end. But the heavens, they go on and on and on and on. That's like the, the, the element of the infinite. Accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven means surrendering yourself, identifying, say, I belong to heaven, which means I belong to God's very self, as he transcends everything. At that moment, that itself is making you as one with God and therefore permanent and real with absolute realness. You're connecting, you're attaching, you're becoming one with the infant. And then what? And then you got to bring it back down here. You got to bring it back into this world because what's God's desire? He wants to have a home in this world. So he wants you to capture that infinity. He wants you to capture God's very, very self. He wants you to connect to the lights that are beyond the vessels. And like we discussed earlier in the class, and that very, very energy, bring it down in the vessels. So in the first parsha of the Shema, we can say, and this is really the idea that he discusses in this discourse, which is fabulous, is there are two methods in which we lift ourselves outside of the boundaries and the limitations. Outside of the boundaries and the limitations of, um, of, of time and space. One is by just complete surrender. It, 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 a total nullification which means, as we said earlier, accepting God as my king, and therefore I live for him, and I'm willing to just give him my everything. Another one is 
expressed in the words, you should love God, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And primarily it's the last one, with all your might. All your might means a boundless love, a love that has no boundaries and no limitations. It really means not a love that comes from a perception and understanding of God's greatness, because any kind of perception and understanding of God's greatness will always be limited. And therefore, if the perception and understanding is limited, then the excitement that it generates will also be a limited entity. It's more of a type of a feeling that comes from a a frustration in being trapped. A frustration of being, in other words, not from a positive identification of the divine, but from an understanding that whatever I know, I'm not knowing it. However deep it is, I'm not getting it. Today I did a little meditation, a little Mashiach meditation. Um, I was I was sitting and I looked up to the sky. I started this new program. I'm going to send out a small video about it, about having a Mashiach minute in your day, which a time that you basically decide that you're no more, you're not in exile, you're in, in Mashiach's state. How will I live in that time? So I was studying uh, the last few days I was doing that exercise, I was reading something and learning. I tried to shut my mind off from everything else, immerse myself in the reading. And today I didn't have the book with me and I decided, okay, I'm just going to do it through nature, through looking at the world. I'm going to look at the world and try to look through the eyes that my eyes will see when Mashiach comes. So I might walk out in the morning and I might look at the sky and I might say, oh, beautiful, nice. Los Angeles is so wonderful. Beautiful weather, it's great, nice blue sky, it's wonderful. That's what I'm seeing now. And when Mashiach comes, it says, why is the sky blue? It says, because the sky is similar color to the throne of glory. And the throne of glory, Malchus, the blueness has to do with fear. So basically I'm seeing the, the, the powerful king when I'm looking at the blue sky, I'm seeing, and there is the dread of the king, of God's infinity and God's kingship. That's the blue sky. And, and when Mashiach comes, we're going to actually see the blue sky. We're going to see the malchut of Hashem, the kingship of God. And I stood that way for like a few, for a minute. And I was getting, it was, it was, it was actually impacting me. It was, it was moving me. But then the sky wasn't completely blue. There was some clouds. And I was saying, what's the clouds going to mean? So one of the meanings of clouds are that clouds are the blockages that there are, which so I was thinking, okay, the blockages that there are, it's a sin as compared to, to blockages, the clouds, which block the, 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 the sunshine, it blocks the blue sky. But when Mashiach comes, we'll be done with sin. So we won't have to look at the clouds as sin anymore. So then I was thinking, but what are the clouds then? So I was thinking that as much as God reveals himself, there will always be the elusiveness because there is always what's beyond. There is always, and that's what the clouds are doing. They're meant to act like a teasing element. They're meant to say that I know, but I don't know, but there is beyond. And that's what creates even a greater desire to open up for more, to desire more and want more. So that was my meditation today with the clouds and the sky. So that's, that's really the idea of, of loving God with all your might means to get frustrated that 
that that that you can't experience him. You want to experience him, but it's beyond. That's what's explained, and that's why it says the place of the Balchuva stands is higher than the perfectly righteous tzaddikim. Righteous people have a positive identification with the divine. They're always doing what's right, and they're always good, and there's a whole bunch of light in their life. So they're very much synchronized and attached and connected and, and feel Hashem everywhere and in everything. But it's, 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 it's in a manner of brightness, so it's a positive identification. But people who have gone through darkness and sin and, 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 and breakage in their life and a lot of pain in their life, and these people are wrestling to want to get close to God, their main energy is not so much what they understand and appreciate of the divine. They just feel very, very trapped in a world that's trapping. And they know there is a truth out there that they want to connect to, but they can't. And that tension is called with all your might. Because at that moment, when you break, when that tension raptures and creates either a tremendous joy or, or more many times just a breakdown of crying as pain, whatever that is, that's a moment when your soul is breaking. It's tearing off the constrictions and definitions of everything, and it's just pure energy going out of vessels. That's Bahoma Odecha with all your light, and that's when you're touching the infinite. So two ways to touch the infinite. A total submission, that's not as energetic, but it's still, since you're dissolving yourself completely to be belong to God, and it's not anything about God, it's God's very self, you are in a state of absolute nullification to him, that's one way, or in this rapture of loving God beyond all definition which we're supposed to experience when we say the Shema on one of these two levels. That's why it's the name of 42, because to be able to do that truly, you get the divine assistance of the name of 42, the three hands of God that take you out of Egypt. The second portion of the Shema is great. Now you're attached. Now what, are you, now what, does, God, what does God want of you? God wants you now to turn around from being one with him and start becoming his ambassador, his channel into this into the final world yeah be a go back in be in your body be the person you are use your talents use everything god gives you but it's not shouldn't be about you it should be about you funneling holiness and godliness do all the mitzvahs do them the way god wants you to do them do them with your own unique flavor because that's why he needs you doing the mitzvah not just the other person doing the mitzvah in your own way but in your own way, to the people that are around you, to the places that are around you, to the ob objects that are around you, to the, all the phenomena that's with you, channel that light down and bring it into containers and bring it into vessels. That's the name. That's Vahoyim Shemoya, the second portion of the Shema. And therefore, it has 72 letters. 72 is the name of God, is, is, the, is the numeric value of Chesed. And it's one of God's names. There's a name of God that's 72. And that's the name of descending energy. Chesed. What's chesed? Chesed is kindness. Kindness is when someone who is higher is lowering himself down to someone that's lower. It's not the sanctioning. God is not pulling us into him. God is extending himself into us. That's the difference. In the first parsha of Shema, God is pulling us into him 
That means we are going from vessels out of vessels. In the second parsha of the Shema, we're going from, from beyond vessels into vessels. And that's why it's 72. Now we're in the in the Exodus that we experience the name of 72. That happened on the seventh day of Pesach. On the seventh day of Pesach, by the splitting of the sea, the significance of the splitting of the sea is that God is now making himself accessible down here in this world. It's a descending light. God is tearing. The sea represents all the barriers that separate the, 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 the filters that keep general spirituality and godly revelation above the cosmos, above the world. God breaks those filters, tears them open. It's called like a birth. Hashem is entering into this world, into our reality down here. And that's why when we went out of Egypt, the splitting of the sea came about through the name of 72. Where? There are three verses in the story of the splitting of the sea, right before, we read it on the seventh day of Pesach, right before the song of, the, of Uz Yashir Moshe, there are three verses, and they're called Vayisa, Vayavoy, Vayet. They're in Exodus. Um, if I had a chumash in front of me, boom, 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 one second, I have a close chumash here. Let me take a look, I'll tell you what the is. So it is in Exodus, B'Shalach. Oh, uh, Yudalid, chapter 14. It is um, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. Perek Yudalid, Pasuk Yutes, Chof, and Chof Aleph. What are these three verses? Each of them have 72 letters in them. You count the letters, 72 letters in them. Three consecutive verses. They make up God's name of 72 letters. In, in, in which manner? If you want to be a Kabbalist, put on your white robe and your white hat. Dip 310 times in the mikvah, and then you can count the letters and set it up if you want. You take 72 letters, you take the first verse and you put the letters down on 72 lines, one on top of the other. So you're going down vertically. Vav, Yud, Samach, Ayin, from the word Vayisa. You spell it out. Instead of writing um, vertically, you're writing, I'm sorry, instead of writing horizontally, you're writing vertically. The letters like this. You make one row. Next to it, you put another row. You take the next verse and you put the letters out like this. But instead of doing it, see, here's the catch. In order for it to be a code, it has to be an encrypted code. So the way it works is you flip the second verse. I'm now decodifying the code. So you take the second verse, you flip the letters, you flip the verse upside down, and you start from the last letter. The hey is the last letter of the second verse, Pasukhov. You put that next to the vav on the first column. And that's column, and that's on column one, two. Sorry, that's row one, and you go down, 72 words. But the second verse is upside down. The third verse is again straight. So what you're going to have is 72 rows of three letters. 
That whole set of letters spelled out is God's name of 72 letters. You know that, you can resurrect the dead. No, I'm just kidding. But if you tap into the energy of it, you can probably do some pretty cool stuff. But that's, that's not the point. The point over here is to be a good Jew. So with the 72 letters of Hashem's name, which is chesed. So you see, and where is that stated? Just like the two, three hands of God, which are 14, which make up 42, is a preparation for what happened the first night of Pesach. What was the first night of Pesach? God yanked us out of Egypt. He pulled us into him. And that's what happened. The Jews you know, left Egypt. They went running after God. They surrendered themselves completely to God. When they came to the Yamsuf, they realized it's not about the tripping out and the experience up there. It's about what? Channeling it down into a constructive manner in this world. And that's what they experienced by the splitting of the sea. And the splitting of the sea is through the name of 72. And when we, every day in the Shema, we access these energies, the energy of 72 is the second part of the Shema. And when we take these two energies, 42 and 72, the Bechoma the, Odecha, we access the Oros, the Toh, the, 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 the lights of Toh, this infinite light, and we channel it into the vessels and containers of Tikkun in Vahayim Shemaya, we get to the third portion, I am God, and I took you out of Egypt. And, and going out of Egypt doesn't mean living outside. It means living down here, but not being in Egypt. Because in everything you're doing, you're channeling God's very essence. You're no more a finite being in a finite world. You are a, 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 a finite manifestation of an infinite being. That's who you are. So you're really an, an expression of the infinite. Through your smallness, the infinite is coming through. And that's the ultimate desire of Hashem. And there's the marriage of the finite and the infinite. And then you're ready to go take the Torah, which is the revelation of I am God, you're God, God's very essence down here in this world. The preparation for it, the two parshas of the Shema. And in our daily, yearly exercises, how does that translate? The eating of the matzah. The matzah, the eating of the matzah is the first parsha of the Shema. Because the eating of the matzah is, symbolizes, number one, what did we say? The acceptance of the yoke of heaven, which means I, my entire being, is not me. I am, I am completely surrendered to you. What's the matzah? A flat cracker. The flatness of the cracker represents the idea, no ego, no self. It's the complete given over. And the sages also tell us that when the Jews were in Egypt, they were in a very dark place. They needed to be given holy vitamins. They needed to be given healing bread. They needed to be given nutrition that's going to open up inside of them access to the infinite. Access to the infinite through faith, but internalized faith, faith that they can really, not faith that's like distant from them, faith that really becomes part of them. So they ate matzah. What's the matzah? Sages say that matzah is, is the taste of wheat. Matzah is wheat. It doesn't have to be wheat. It has to be from the five different types, but primarily it's made out of wheat. Sages say that a child does not know how to call to identify his or her father until they eat, they taste the taste of grain. Nursing doesn't give that to the child. It's when the child begins to eat grain, the grain adds the wisdom in the mind of the child to be able to say father. What does that mean in spiritually in our soul? It means 
through the ingestion of the holy matzah. We are then given the ability to cry father. Now when a child, and let's understand that, when a child that's one years old who starts eating, the mother gives him little crackers or whatever, and starts to get a little taste of grain, and the child can start identifying their daddy. To the child, it makes no difference if their daddy is a, a CEO, a, a professor in some major college, or if the daddy is the, you know, a, a porter guy who is bringing the thing or the daddy is the, the, uh, the tailor. It literally doesn't make a difference. This is my daddy. And the child is... Is, 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 it, 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 it's irrelevant anything about the daddy. If the daddy is Albert Einstein, he's the wisest person, or maybe not too smart. If the daddy is the most incredible, you know, talent, whatever. It's my daddy. It's my daddy. In other words, at this moment, the child doesn't know anything about the father. It's just that he is my dad. And what that means is the child knows that doesn't know it even intellectually, but just it is that he, that the child and the dad are deeply, essentially bonded, connected. That's what we're talking about here, the essential bond of the essence of the person to the essence of God. That comes through the matzah, and it comes through that flatness. It's, trans, it's, it's not about how I understand and grasp. It's not my understanding. It's bigger than me. It's infinitely higher than me. And that faith is delivered through the matzah. So the matzah represents whatever we discuss is the first parsha of the Shema. It also says it enables the soul to experience this infinite rapture of love to God. It's the dosage for that is the matzah. So either you experience it as an utter surrender or you're experiencing it in a more emotional type of an experience where the energy is felt as a very, very intense spiritual high now, they're not putting anything inside the matzah that's going to give you a high. But if you're tapping in deeper into it, then it does have this incredible ingredient to create that shuva that we spoke earlier, that, 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 that yearning that breaks all vessels. That's in the matzah. And you do that for a week. You eat matzah, primarily the first day of Pesach. And then immediately the next day, you have to start making a mensch out of yourself. You can't just say, well, I love, I'm inspired, I want to be you, but I'm a total wreck and I'm a total mess. Because what you really what you do in the matzah is what you're doing in the first parish of the Shema is you're escaping yourself and you're getting into connecting to higher. That's awesome. But you got to turn back and take a look at the person you escaped from and say, is that individual clean or not clean? Is that individual refined or not refined? Is that individual... You know, who am I when I'm not experiencing all this ecstatic burning? What am I? What's my regular self? Am I nice to my spouse? Am I kind? Am I giving? Am I caring? Am I sensitive to other people? Or am I, you know, or am I a bore? God doesn't want us to be boorish. He wants us to be a refined human being. So make the best of what we can do. And that's what we do the seven weeks. Every day the counting is to, is to work within our containers, within our vessels. Who I am and what I am. What are my personality traits? How sensitive am I? How caring am I? How selfish am I? I got to work detail by detail, purifying every facet and every avenue in my soul and in my body, refining myself bit by bit. Seven weeks because there are seven emotions. 
Each, each emotion takes another week of work. And then she was, now two things, just like the matzah, whether we understand how the matzah works or whether we don't, by eating the matzah itself, it accomplishes this transcendental connection. The same is also it's beautiful. Even though these seven weeks are really weeks that we should spend in self-refinement and we're supposed to work on ourselves, true, but that it does not take away from an inherent refinement that happens just by fulfilling the mitzvah of counting the over. Such an important mitzvah. So if you're still managing to do it, then you're fortunate. Because if you lose a day, then you lose it. So, but if you're still managing to do it, that's really, really cool. So you count every day, 49 days, and then you're ready for the Shavuos. So the, the second part of it, is the second, the, I'm sorry, the Sfirah to Omer, the counting of the Omer, is related to the seven, to the Vahoyam um, Shemoa, and the Matzah is related to the Vahafta. So then you're going to ask me a question. If so, if Sfirah to Omer is related to the Vahoyam Shemoya, then Sfirah to Omer should have the name of 72. Instead, during Sfirah to Omer, we say the name of 42. We say Anavakoach. So that's going to be everybody's homework over here. You have to come up with the answer. Um, and uh, you can leave your comments of why the second portion was Sfirah to Omer, which is supposed to be more the creation of the vessels so that the dwelling of God has where to dwell with, why is it done and why is the paragraph that we say, the name of 42, which should really be more like something we should have said while we ate the matzah, not something that we say when we eat it. But taking all of this back, so that's a good question. It's for you to answer. I'm giving it to you because I don't know the answer. Maybe I need to research it more, but maybe anybody over here can find the answer. But what we will leave you with is this dynamic of fervor, excitement, passion, the transcendental passion, and yet organized, bringing it down into vessels is the secret of the future redemption. We need to blend it. As I was giving the sheer over Yomtev, it was coming out a lot during the learning, the idea that if you think about it, the whole Hasidic contribution was to shake things up amongst the Jewish people. The Jewish people were experiencing a very static, rigid observance. The observance was a good observance. A lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvahs. There was a complete obedience to the Shulchan Aruch. But the Baal said, you're forgetting about God. You're just a servant of the Shulchan Aruch, of the, of the code of Jewish law. Get in tune with God himself. And when the Baal Shem Tov introduced God back into Judaism, so to speak, not just Shulchan Aruch, but then what did he do? What, what happened to his, to his followers? He basically added the sizzle. He added that madness. And the Hasidim were considered, were accused as being madmen because they raptured. Once the Baal Shem Tov introduced and awoke in them the, the level of their soul that transcends the vessel, he touched them deeper than their intellect, deeper than their minds, deeper than their understanding. He turned them on in such an ex with such fervor and excitement that the, the, the more traditional establishment of the Jewish people 
got very worried. They said, these, these, who are these? These, these, these? This is some kind of a new cult. They got really scared. This wasn't, and the Bolshemta was a preparation for Mashiach because without that insanity, without that love, that fervor, that insane excitement, you're not, you're not attracting God himself. You're pulling very much from the various attributes and that's fantastic, but to get God himself engaged, get the infinite down here. And that's why all the Hasidic masters, who this was their secret, their secret was this Balchuva. Really, the Hasidic movement is really a Chuva movement. That's what it really is. It was to create Bali Chuva. It created even people that were very observant, but brought out the Balchuva. It made the very observant Sadik realize how limited he is. And he cried out with desire to. It's the frustration that the Bolshemtev brought out. And, 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 and he brought back that infinite Oros to Tov, the lights of Tov. And for two generations, the Hasidic movement was like in, in, in literally on steroids with excitement. But that's dangerous again, not dangerous. It's not the point because it's got to come down into vessels. It's got to come down into containers. See, somehow you got to blend the, 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 the very... Um, rigid rigidity and organization of the non-Hasidic world, which is very, very, you know, square, struck, very structured, and you got to have the Hasidic energy to it. So I think the best, now obviously all the various Hasidic rebbies and teachers managed to capture this to a certain degree, but the master of masters in this particular thing, to be able to capture that excitement, that fervor, that infinite energy, and yet create a structure, was Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the first Chabad Rebbe. Because Chabad Hasidus is this incredible synthesis of raw energy, soul energy. You look at every Hasidic discourse, it keeps on bringing us back to the madness. But at the same time, it creates the intellectual structure to be able to facilitate it understand it, to ground it. And when the Rebbe became Rebbe, the seventh Chabad Rebbe, he fully went full throttle into madness. The Rebbe then said, we're going to conquer the world only with holy holy foolishness, he called it. Holy holy madness. And yet at the same time, very structured and very grounded. Very productive. Take a look at Chabad. It's like this incredible infrastructure across the entire world. Systemized, built. And yet at the same time, it's an infinite energy. It's that unique, impossible blend. But when it comes to Mashiach itself, this is required. It's required the insanity of it, the intensity of it, bringing, settling it into vessels. When you connect these two things together, you get the revelation of Mashiach. So let us merit already that just by talking about this, we evoke it, we stimulate it, we highlight it. I'm sure we've done this already and more than is required. Now it's time already for the full revelation of Mashiach and may that be right now.